2 Peter chapter number 1. There are many things in life which we all desire to feel sure about. We all want to be sure of our good health. If you've got good health, you'd like to be sure that it's going to keep going in that, in that state. We all want to be sure of our remission from cancer. I had cancer in 2018, 2017. I want to be sure that it's not coming back. We all want to be sure of the faithfulness of our friends and loved ones. We all want to be sure of the stability of our job. We all want to be sure of our loved one's safety when we are separated from them by many miles. And we all want to be sure that when this life is over and we breathe our last breath, that we'll wake up in heaven and not in a place called hell. Second Peter chapter 1, um, it's an epistle written. An epistle is a letter written by the Apostle Peter to Christians. He didn't write non-Christians, he wrote Christians. And he says in verse number 1, he says, Simon Peter, a servant and an apostle of Jesus Christ, to them that have obtained like precious faith. These believers had obtained salvation. They had obtained, they had attained, uh, not attained, but obtained new life in Jesus Christ. But as you read through this, Letter, as you read through this first chapter, you'll notice in verse number eight and that it's possible for a Christian to become very barren in their Christian life. When I think of the word barren, I think of a desert. You know, um, Rome, um, Psalms chapter one says that blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law doth he meditate day and night. And he shall be like a tree planted by rivers of water that bringeth forth his fruit in his season, and in um, his leaf shall not wither, and whatsoever he doeth shall prosper. The Bible describes the, the Christian life, the life connected with God as a fruitful, luscious, um, fruit-bearing life. But according to verse number 8, it's possible for a Christian to become barren in their soul. It's possible for a Christian to be unfruitful. The, Jesus said in John 15 that we have to abide in him. We have to be connected to him if we are going to bear fruit. But if we, if we don't abide in Christ and we don't allow his words to abide in us, we will not be fruitful Christians. 
Instead, we'll be barren Christians. And then it says in verse number 9, it's also possible for a Christian to become blind. To become blind. not, Not physically blind necessarily, but spiritually blind. And it's even possible for a Christian to forget that he was purged or forgiven of his old sins. And so in our audience this morning, the Bible says in 1 John, there are two conditions of people before God. It says, and this is the record that God has given to us eternal life. And this life is in his son. He that hath the son I kicked the can. Everybody look. Get it out of our system. And then we'll get ready to get back into it. But the Bible says, He that hath the Son hath life. And he that hath not the Son of God hath not life. And you know what the Bible says? The Bible says that Jesus Christ will never leave you nor forsake you. It says in Matthew 28, Lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. The Bible says in John chapter 6, He that cometh to me, I will in no wise cast out. I won't throw you away. Those are promises of God. I believe it's in, in John 10, it says, um, John 10, 27, start me, Brother Tyler. How does it start? Somebody, well, we got the Bible. I don't have to trust um, Pastor Tyler's memory or my own, obviously. But John 10, verse 27, it says these words. It says, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me, and I give unto them eternal life. What's eternal life? forever life and they shall never perish neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand my father which gave them me is greater than all and no man is able to pluck them out of my father's hand I and my father are one so we have these beautiful promises for those that have Jesus Christ, that they'll never perish, that they are possessors of eternal life. And so the great question for all of humanity is, do I have Jesus Christ? Do I have Jesus Christ? Am I a born-again Christian? Am I saved? Or as Peter said in his epistle, his letter To these Christians, have I obtained eternal life? Now we know from reading this chapter that it's possible for even people that have Jesus Christ as their Savior to be barren, to be unfruitful, to become blind, to to forget that they were saved or forget that their sins were washed away. You know, the Apostle Paul 
compares the spiritual life to a battle. He says in Ephesians 6, he says, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. And it says there, we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against spiritual wickedness in high places. There's a spiritual battle that goes on in our world. The devil's behind it. His demons are working with him. And so there's a spiritual battle. And 2 Corinthians 10 tells us that we are to cast down imaginations. So even a saved person can encounter thoughts that are of a devilish origin. Now, they're not always the devil. I'm going to get to an important part of the sermon, and I'm going to kick the last one off. So they're all off now. There's nothing left there. Um, We'll have to remember that. Anyways, um, that's fun. That's fun. So where am I? I distract myself. Okay, so there's a spiritual battle that goes on. Now, not to give the devil too much credit, the Apostle Paul also said in in Romans chapter 7 that he said, O wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from the body of this death? As a saved man, the Apostle Paul said, O wretched man that I am, our flesh is wretched. And so we've got the devil and his demons and this, this, this this spiritual world battling with our minds. We have our flesh that our flesh wasn't redeemed. Our spirit was redeemed. We were given new life in Christ, but we still carry around this flesh. So we have these obstacles. And so it's possible for people that have Jesus Christ to sometimes struggle with doubts of their assurance of salvation. It's possible. Now, for the sake of, there's so much in this chapter, what I want to focus on this morning is, have you obtained eternal life? 2 Peter chapter 1. Have you obtained, look look at verse 1, it says, Simon Peter, a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to them that have obtained like precious faith with us through the righteousness of God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Have you obtained like precious faith? We're going to spend several weeks examining this portion of Scripture and, and why people struggle with doubts, why saved people struggle with doubts. But I think, first of all, um, today we are going to focus our attention on the question, how does a person obtain salvation? Well, the Bible teaches life is short. It says in, in James 4.14, our life is but a vapor that appears a little time and then vanishes away. We don't know when we're going to die. The Bible says in, 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 in Hebrews 9.27, it is appointed unto man once to die, and after this the judgment. Ultimately, God decides when we die. We can't make that choice. 
on our own. The Bible teaches that after death, humans can go to heaven or humans can go to the lake of fire. John 4, 14, John 14 and verse 1, Jesus said, Let not your heart be troubled. Ye believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you, I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there ye may be also. So Jesus promises this wonderful place called heaven, his father's house. But the book of Revelation also speaks of humans being cast into the lake of fire. In Revelation chapter 20, this is a future scene. It says, I saw a great white throne and him that sat on it from whose face and the earth and heaven fled away. I misread that. And there was found no place for them. And I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God. And the books were opened. And another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged out of those things which were written in the books according to their works. You see, God has everything we've done recorded. And we often have a high opinion of ourselves. But when our life is compared to God's holy commandments, we are all guilty. And God's got it all recorded. And the Bible says at the end of time, the sea will give up the dead which were in it. And death and hell delivered up the dead which were in them. And they were judged every man according to their works. And death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. And whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. So the book of life. How do you get your name written in the book of life. How do you get it written in there? If your name's not written in that book, you're going to stand at this judgment. Now, you might be asking, so how do we know all this is going to happen? Well, we know all this is going to happen because Jesus says so. And really, he is the only one in history that can speak with authority about what's going to happen the moment after we die. He's the He's the only one that can speak with authority. No one else has come back from the dead and can, can prove it. But Jesus lived. He left heaven. He became a man. He lived a sinless life. And then he died and was buried and he rose again. And for 40 days, he showed himself to as many as 500 of his disciples at one time. And it was those apostles and those disciples that, do you realize the day Jesus died, all of his disciples except John took off running? What gave his apostles courage to take the message of Jesus all over the world? It was the courage of the resurrected Christ. And why are there churches all over the world today? Because Jesus is alive. And Jesus spoke of heaven, and Jesus spoke of hell. 
Are you sure you are saved and on your way to heaven? It is God's desire that every Christian here today have assurance of salvation. And secondly, it is God's desire that every unbeliever here today will be certain of their condemnation and then repent and believe the gospel to be saved. The devil wants you to be, if you're a believer in Jesus, he wants you to be sure of that faith. And if you're not a believer in Jesus Christ, if you've never put your faith and trust in him, he wants you to be sure that you're on your way to that judgment and you'll be judged guilty. But this is what God says in John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God sent not into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. Why did God send Jesus into this world? So this world could be saved. You're not saved by performing a spiritual obstacle course. You're not saved by uh, achieving a certain level of knowledge. You're not saved by a certain amount of good works. The only way we can be saved is through God the Son. God the Father sent God the Son so that the world could be saved. And he that believes on him, the Bible says, is not condemned. He that believes on Jesus is not condemned. Why? Well, we, we see a hint of this in, in 2 Peter chapter 1, where we started. It says, Simon Peter, a servant and an apostle of Jesus Christ, to them that have obtained like precious faith with us through the righteousness of God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. You see, the Bible teaches that when a sinner believes on Jesus Christ, God's righteousness, Christ's righteousness is put on your account. Do you realize all of us in this room, all of our sins, past, present, and future, were put on the back of Jesus Christ. He died for our sins. And when we believe on him, God gives us his righteousness, just as if we've never sinned. And it's even better than that. Just as if you've always obeyed. The Bible teaches that Christians still sin. Now, the Bible teaches that when someone becomes a Christian, their life changes. And, they, and there's a process called sanctification whereby God grows us to become more and more like him. But 1 John is very transparent. It says, if, if a Christian says, if I have no, if a Christian says they have no sin, they make him a liar. Fact is, in our humanity, we sin daily. And one sin will send a sinner to hell. So my hope of salvation 
is not in my performance. My hope for salvation is in the perfect righteousness of Christ that is given to me the moment I believe. We have a Sunday school class. In the Sunday school class, the gospel is taught and preached. We've done vacation Bible schools before where we tell the neighborhood children about Jesus' love, that Jesus loves them and Jesus wants to save them. The Bible teaches the moment you believe on Jesus Christ, you get his perfect righteousness for eternity, forever. Those children have a lot of life left to live. But their salvation isn't based on their performance. It's based on the righteousness of Jesus Christ. So to obtain salvation, what does a person need to know? Well, they need to know these basics. You are a sinner. I am a sinner. We are all sinners. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. We need to understand the penalty of sin is death. The wages of sin is death, Romans 6.23. The wage is what we earn for our sin, and that is death. And we've mentioned hell already. That is the second death. But the good news is Christ died and rose again so that our sins can be forgiven and we can have a relationship with God. You know, the Bible says Christ hath once suffered for sins. One time he suffered for sins. The just, that means the holy one, for the unjust, for the unholy ones, that he might bring us to God. Jesus is the solution. He is the solution. We need to know those three things. I'm a sinner. The penalty for my sin is is death and hell. But Jesus is the answer. He died and he rose again. What must I do? You see, sometimes there's confusion. Because in one breath, the preacher will say, you can't do anything to get to heaven. And then in the next breath, he says, you got to do this to get to heaven. You know what? Turn turn to John chapter 6. John chapter 6. This will make sense. John chapter 6. And verse number verse number 25. So Jesus fed the multitudes. He fed 5,000 men, their wives and their children. So it could have been 15,000 people. It could have been 20,000 people. He fed them with a few loaves of bread and a few fishes. Well, the next day they want to find him. And Jesus says to them, verse 25, And when they had found him on the other side of the sea, they came unto him, Rabbi, when camest thou hither? Jesus answered them and said, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Ye seek me not because ye saw the miracles, but because ye ye did eat of the loaves and were filled. You want to follow me because you like the food that I provide. And then he says, labor not for the meat, 
which perisheth, but for that meat which endureth unto everlasting life, which the Son of Man shall give unto you. For him hath God the Father sealed. So the meat that endures to everlasting life, it's a gift from God. Now look at verse 28. Then said they unto him, What shall we do that we might work the works of God? Then Jesus answered and said unto them, This is the work of God, that ye believe on him whom he said. What is the work that will take you to heaven? It is the work of believing on Jesus Christ. Look, look over at verse 47. It says, Verily, verily, I say unto you, He that believeth on me hath everlasting life. What do you have to do to be saved? You have to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, as you read the Bible, you're going to come across another word, and it's the word repent. You'll see it often in scriptures, but you won't find it in every salvation account. There are many, many salvation accounts where you'll never see the word repent. Well, do you need to repent or do you not need to repent? Well, God says you need to repent, so you've got to repent. Acts 20, 21 says, testifying both to the Jews and also to the Greeks, repentance toward God and faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ. So there's got to be a repentance. A repentance is a change of mind. It's a change of mind about what you believe. It's a change of mind about your sin. And then there's faith towards Jesus Christ. Romans chapter 10 says this. What do you need to do to be saved? It says that if thou, that if you, that if me, shall confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, and shall believe in thine heart that God raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. It doesn't say thou might be saved. It says thou shalt be saved. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. And Romans 10, 13, Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. When a person confesses with their mouth the Lord Jesus and believes in their heart and calls upon him, they're saved. They are given everlasting life. Now here in John chapter 6, you'll read this passage of scripture and you'll never see the word repent. But I believe you see it in this, in this scripture in, in another way. These Jewish people are following Jesus because they like what he can do for them. And he wants them to believe on him to be saved. But as you read through this, this account, you'll find out they are hearing God's words, but they're not agreeing with God's words. They are disagreeing with God's words. And I think Jesus says very clearly that people that agree with God's words 
they have no problem believing in Jesus. And it's that agreeing with God's words that is the repentance. Now, just notice here in this, in this story. Now, I'm spending some time here because I have struggled in my life over this word repentance. When I was 12 years old, like the song we sang this morning, um, praise him, praise him. Um, the Holy Spirit convicted my heart in a church service. I had been going to church for six months. And guess what? Nothing was phasing me. I, I didn't hate going to church. My parents took me to church. But I remember in that service, the Holy Spirit spoke to my heart. Something spoke to my heart. And reading the Bible, I realized it was the Holy Spirit. And later, someone took a Bible and showed me that Jesus died for me and that Jesus would save me if I would ask him. And I asked him. But guess what? A couple years later, I was in Bible school and somebody, a preacher came, I think a well-meaning preacher, he came and he preached for one whole week on repentance. And I thought, did I repent? And I tortured my soul about whether or not I repented or not. And you know, I asked Jesus, actually, um, a year after I got saved, I was in another service and someone was preaching about hell. And I was afraid I was going to go there. So I asked Jesus to save me again. And then in Bible college, I asked him to save me again because I wasn't sure if I repented. But you know, you know what the devil did then? He got me in this, in this vicious circle of going, did I really believe? Did I really repent? Which time did I really believe? Which time did I? It was torture. Has anybody else ever been in that torture chamber with, 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 with the devil? Yeah. I, I, I've been in that torture chamber. It's awful. It's an awful place to be. But when you see this scripture, just read on with me. I think it'll help you. Um, look at verse 30. They said, therefore, unto him, what sign showest thou then that we may see and believe thee? What dost thou work? Our fathers did eat manna in the desert, as it is written. He gave them bread from heaven to eat. Then Jesus said unto them, verily, verily, I say unto you, Moses gave you not that bread from heaven, but my father giveth you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he which cometh down from heaven and giveth life unto the world. Jesus is speaking of himself. But look at them. Then said they unto him, Lord, evermore give us this bread. And Jesus said unto them, I am the bread of life. He that cometh to me shall never hunger. And he that believeth on me shall never thirst. But I said unto you, that ye, that ye also have seen me and believe not. They saw Jesus and they didn't believe in him. They didn't repent. Instead, they wanted to argue with God. He says, all that the Father giveth me shall come to me. And him that cometh to me, I will in no wise cast out. Now be careful. The Calvinist will teach you well, if the Father doesn't draw you, there's no way that you can be saved. And guess what? That is true. But how does the Father draw you? He draws you with his word. We're going to read all of this, but go down to 
Verse number 43. Jesus therefore answered and said unto them, Murmur not among yourselves. No man can come to me except the Father which hath sent me draw him. And I will raise him up at the last day. Notice verse 45. This is the key. It is written in the prophets. And they shall all, they, they shall be all taught of God. The Jewish people were all taught of God. Every man, therefore, that hath heard and hath learned of the Father cometh unto me. Who does the Father draw to Jesus Christ? Those that come to God's word and accept what God says about the world, about creation, about his commandments, about his judgment, about his authority. God is the great authority. We will all be judged by him. But these people here in John chapter 6, they did not want to hear God's word. And they didn't want to learn from the Father. Therefore, they were never drawn to Jesus Christ. But those that repent, those that hear God's word, those that listen to God's word and agree with it, they come to Jesus. And when they come to Jesus, they will not, they will not be cast out. You'll read this whole passage. It's very clear in verse 47. Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that believeth on me hath everlasting life. So if your heart, if there was ever a time in your life where your heart was tender and you were willing to believe what God said about himself and what God said about Jesus, what's the gospel? Christ died for our sins according to the scripture and was buried and rose again the third day. You don't have to know rocket science to be saved. You just have to believe the gospel. And the Holy Spirit's at work in this world teaching people the gospel. And he uses the church. And he uses our witness. And he uses the word of God. I met people that were given a Bible. And they started reading the Bible. And they agreed with God. And they cried out to Jesus to save them. And folks, the moment you trust Jesus is the moment you're saved. I think what the devil does sometimes in our minds is he tries to take our knowledge now, 10 years after we're saved, 15 years after we're saved, 30 years after we're saved, 40 years after we're saved, and he tries to apply it to our conversion moment. And folks, we didn't have all that knowledge back then about Jesus. But did you agree with Jesus? Did you agree with the Father? Did you agree with what God's word said? Were you willing to receive it? In that moment, Jesus Christ saved your soul. In that moment. And I believe God wants every Christian to know they're saved. That's what God wants. But you know what the devil wants for every Christian? He wants every, devil, every Christian to think they're not saved. Because it will put you in a terrible place spiritually. And you know what the devil wants 
someone that's not saved to believe. He wants them to believe they're okay without him. And I just want you to, I want you to just be aware of some of the devil's lies. Here's a sample of some of the lies that will send a person to hell. Lie number one, I can go to heaven by any religion or any God. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. Sincere belief in the wrong Savior will not save your soul. If you believe in another deity, God says there's only one God. And there's only one Son of God, that's Jesus Christ. If you're believing in Allah to take you to heaven, it doesn't matter how sincere you are. Allah didn't provide for your sin debt. He didn't die on the cross. He didn't, he didn't rise from the dead. He can't save you. doesn't matter how sincere you are. How about this lie? I can go to heaven by my good works or by being good. Some people think it's, it's just, just too simple. Jesus did everything and all I have to do is believe. The devil wants to complicate it. But the Bible says, for by grace are you saved through faith, not of yourselves. It is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Your good works won't take you to heaven. And then another lie, I can go to heaven without agreeing with God about my sin and being willing to change. I can go to heaven without agreeing with God about my sin and being willing to change. The Apostle Paul went into the world preaching this in Acts 26.20, but, but showed first unto them of Damascus and at Jerusalem and throughout all the coasts of Judea and then to the Gentiles that they should repent and turn to God and do works meet for repentance. The Bible is clear. A person is saved the moment they call on Jesus to save them. Before they have the opportunity to do one work. Before they have the opportunity to stop one sin. The moment they believe. But folks, they are coming to a holy God. Who is the judge of the universe. And who desires the best for his creation. And you cannot come to God with an attitude, I'm coming to you and I'm keeping my sin. I'm coming to you and I'm keeping my false gods. I'm coming to you, I'm going to believe in you, Jesus, but I'm going to believe in my Hindu um, statues as well. You'll never be saved. You can't come to God and hang on to your sin. When you look at your timeline, was there a time when you obtained salvation? Was there a time when you received God's gift? The gift of God is eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave. But you know what God doesn't do? He doesn't break down your door. He doesn't force the gift down your throat. Oh, you, you've got to take this. God is a gentleman. He will only come into your life if you invite him. 
He'll only come into your life if you choose Him. He won't force His way in. There's a beautiful uh, verse in, 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 um, in Revelation chapter 3 and verse 20. Jesus is talking to the churches. It's an application for unsaved people. But it says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and will sup with him and he with me. God wants to come into your life. He knocks on your door. God the Father knocks on the door with this word. He shows you you're a sinner. He shows you there's a penalty for sin, and that penalty is death. He shows you that Jesus is the only remedy. And then he invites you to believe on him, to trust him, to accept him. And if you'll accept him, he'll save you. And, and dear Christian, if you remember that time when you sincerely asked Jesus Christ to be your savior, our God is a God of his word. He will not lie. He will not, he will not play mind games. The Bible says the devil is the author of confusion. And you've got to hang on to the truth that he that cometh to Christ, he will not cast out. He gives you everlasting life. So where are you in your heart today? Have you ever obtained eternal life? If you haven't, we're going to bow our heads and close our eyes. We're going to bow our heads and close our eyes. And it's very important. Metro Baptist Church can't save anyone. The only one that can save you is Jesus Christ. And the way you get saved is by calling on him and asking him to save you from your sin and come in your life. So I want to challenge you if... if if you've never in your life asked Jesus to be your Savior, do that this morning. Now, Christian, if there's been a time in your life when you've called upon Jesus, can I caution you? Don't just call on him again. Because you might just add confusion to your life. What I want you to do, Christian, if you've called on Jesus, but you're struggling with doubts, I want you to claim God's promise this morning. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. And I want you to say, Lord, thank you for the promise of everlasting life. Thank you, Lord. When I was six years old, I asked you to be my savior. Thank you. When I was 30 years old, I... I asked you to be my Savior. Thank you for keeping your word. But if you look back on your life, and there's never been a time when you've asked Jesus to save you from your sins, can I encourage you in your heart to ask him to be your Savior now? Romans 10 verse 9 says, That if you, that if thou, shall confess with your mouth, the Lord Jesus, and believe in your heart 
that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. In verse 13, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. That's God's word. Jesus is the only remedy for your sin. Will you call on him? Will you ask him? In this quiet moment, would you ask Jesus to be your savior?